0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Nick and Griff Show. It is, today is Saturday, January 22nd, 2022, 9, 12 a.m. Let's do the quick market check here. Griff, how are we feeling about the uh, the prices um, of Bitcoin here recently? Today, we're sitting at, right now, 35, 2. What do you think?
1: Nick, as always, as I've checked, I'm pretty sure one Bitcoin is like still one bitcoin so we're doing pretty well um in terms of where it's at in relation to usd how much you can get for one bitcoin and us dollars Mm -hmm. i don't don't know know. i mean like you know all of these markets are propped up by you know unnatural things to money so it's Mm -hmm. uh, not all that surprising to see it all kind of dropping but well uh,
0: it is interesting. You bring up an interesting point, right? Whenever uh whenever the price of Bitcoin, you know, denominated in dollars, when that goes down, that means that our dollars actually buy more Bitcoin, right? Which uh for the long-term players, it's like, hey, we'll keep we'll keep buying up, right? We'll keep buying
1: it. <laughs>
0: right. Let those prices yeah, get get back.
1: Got, okay, yeah, sure. keep
0: buying, right. Uh,
1: I was like, damn, I need to eat McDonald's all week next week because of how many (laughs) I just bought. But fuck it. Like, it's at such a good price. And I think it's so funny. I started uh, my kids' college fund with a million Satoshis. Imagine if I can pay for whatever those kids need with just a million Satoshi investment today. Probably will be able to.
0: That's pretty sick. Uh, Um, Yeah, we, we can see here kind of the sharp downturn there. Um, the twentieth, you know, and into the twenty yesterday, and and now into today, um, same thing happened. I think in the markets here in the equity market in the S and P five hundred. You know, look at it yesterday, uh, forty three hundred. We can see that sharp drop there as well on the. 20th, a lot of those
1: on chain analytics, you can see that Bitcoin is still tied pretty tightly to like the S and P and the Nasdaq, and I think it's mostly because Bitcoin is still under a trillion dollar asset so it's still like very susceptible to these big players like coming and going whatever you know what i'm saying whatever they want to do it's sometimes they want to be risk on sometimes they want to be risk off and they've used bitcoin as that risk in their profile which is like you know stinks for the short-term holders that were trying to like leverage a win and you know make money quick but for the long-term holders in bitcoin it's great just keep buying this doesn't really mean a whole lot i mean it, it really means nothing. I think Pompliano tweeted out yesterday the number of wallet addresses with 0.01 Bitcoin is growing rapidly, still growing. And like well that might be people like obviously making more wallets diversifying. There's a lot of reasons for that. Uh as far as I know, there's people stacking. You know, the more you go around people are kind of catching wind that this is going to be a thing in the short term price almost I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but whether it's a 700 trillion dollar asset or an 850 trillion dollar asset you know i mean you can look at some of the business analytics of bitcoin and how great of an investment it is it's growing faster than the internet did 20 years ago it's growing faster uh, you, so
0: you bring up it, interesting an interesting thought there right with you know you typically see it uh you see it in the equities market right with volatile type stocks um you definitely see it in the crypto markets right people uh in the short term trying to play the the volatility of the markets um i think it's ve- we got to make a clear distinction and and hopefully we already are at this point uh being two episodes in filming our third um hopefully at this point you can see that this is much more of a long term play and perspective that we've got um we're not we're not real uh, real big on the day trades we're not we don't do any of that kind of stuff it's it's a uh, not that we're not that we're above that, right? Not that we're above that, right? But but when it comes to Bitcoin and what we're talking about here, I mean th- these are long-term plays, right? We just talked about store value last week. Um, that's a long-term play. We're, we're about to talk about medium of exchange today, um, and that is uh, much more of a long-term play because in order for us to get to a Bitcoin medium of exchange, um, Bitcoin has to be used as a standard and a store of value, right? Um, and so it's it's definitely interesting and you gotta make sure that we're looking at these things um in, in long term here. Whenever we're whenever we're thinking about these things, we're thinking in long term, just so that the listeners, you know, get um maybe the right perspective, right? Cause if you're trying to you're trying to figure out how to, you know, take advantage of the volatility of the markets, this ain't the podcast, bruh. It's not it.
1: <laughs> well, and it's just impossible unless you're somebody who has enough money to make these markets shift, but I think anybody, if you're just looking at these markets and you know anything about quantitative easing since 2008 and you know how much money they printed since COVID, it's going to be hard probably over the next five years. There is a bear market coming, probably a very serious one, if not a recession coming in traditional markets and maybe Bitcoin. It's going to be hard to find a return. I mean, you know, and that's, sometimes that's how it is. And when it comes to Bitcoin, the greatest thing about it is that, it's not a short-term play right now. Mm -hmm. It's got a long way to go as a medium of exchange. And we'll talk about how it will work as a medium of exchange and why it is a great one, but it still has a long way to go. in that aspect, I mean, it has, whether we like it or not, it has legislation, regulation to go, whether we like it or not, it has still mass adoption to go. It still has a lot of user friendly, you know, applications that pretty much still need to be built onto certain lightning networks. And, um, it's still got a long way to go, but as a 25 year old facing, I mean, real estate's up what, I mean, a gargantuan amount. if we could, we hopefully we get better at pulling up like graphs from Fred on here, but the real estate, I think I tweeted about it yesterday. is like, it's so high. And for somebody that's our age, just kind of getting started in their career, just kind of starting to make money, you know, owning a home is like, I guess you could say it's realistic, but man, you're going to be buying a, a really overvalued piece of real estate at this point in time. And you're also going to be buying a bunch of overvalued stocks because it's been hitting what a new all time high every day for the last forever. (laughs) And so you're basically buying somebody else's bag, if you ask me at this point. So you might as well kick back and just pay off your debts, put a little money into Bitcoin for the future and save cash and wait for this thing to, you know, get even cheaper because Bitcoin, you know, you should, I mean, this is not financial advice, but you should stack your sats. But you know what? This is probably a time to hold some dry powder too, you know? I mean, it's probably a time to invest in Bitcoin as a long-term play. As always, these are very good prices. We will see hopefully in like two to three years, you're gonna be like, holy shit, I can't believe I didn't just buy anything under a hundred thousand, but. um
0: Here's something, I don't know exactly what, uh, what this chart here is showing us uh, as far as the numbers here, but. um You can see from, this is pretty early chart here, but. um okay. yeah, Home price index national. Home
1: I love our Twitter. Um, maybe this is something I guess we'll talk about. on like our next podcast is Bitcoin is digital real estate. I, maybe more so, or maybe we'll save it for that.
0: But
1: it is is not the best time for young people getting into the market. This is, this is going to be a difficult time. We all know the markets are, if you've been in Bitcoin, you realize the money has been played with the money's been manipulated very, very badly. Um, And anytime that happens, you can look throughout history. As we talked about as a store of value, it's not good. I mean, it's just not good for the citizens. It's not good for our country. It's, you know, we're not, one percenters we don't have enough money you know to just make whatever move to just kind of like keep playing the game um we're trying to get in the game and bitcoin is also trying to change the game so we can talk all about it um this podcast so be a uh, Medium of exchange so let's get let's yeah, get let's on
0: into this Medium of exchange here so let's let's start off here with uh with a, a rough definition here this is what i got from uh from investopedia but medium of exchange is an intermediary instrument or system used to facilitate the sale purchase or trade of goods between parties so right a medium of exchange is just an intermediary right something in between us some third party or some type of uh commodity or good right that we agree to use um as a sale a point of purchase for goods and services right amongst uh, different parties so for a system to function as a medium of exchange, it must represent a standard of value, right? Which we had talked about um, last in the last episode. Um, so it's got to it's got to represent a, a standard of value, right? And then further, uh, all parties must accept that standard. So um, w- with a, a rough idea of it here, um, uh, or with a with a definition, you know that's that's what a medium medium of exchange is. It's right. It's you, you look back at the barter system. Um, what we operated on previously before we had a medium of exchange Um, and it was you know great in a small community where uh, where everybody wanted what everybody else produced right Um, if Griff and I were were two parties and he produces apples and I produce bananas and we both want to trade those things for one for what the others got great we've got a transaction right Um, but if if Griff wants something that I've got but I don't want what Griff has uh, then then you, you got an issue there, right? And that's where medium of exchange comes in to facilitate that transaction. So um, it, it's interesting to look back at the uh, the barter system and, and it, it was an efficient system, right? When it, when it was used, it was efficient when it was, it, when it was efficient, right? Um, but now we know that as, as economies grow, um, you have to be more and more and more and more efficient with how things transact, right? With, with how your medium of exchange operates. What do you think about about the definition there, Griff?
1: I mean, Bitcoin is definitely a medium of exchange just because if you're going to look at these crypto assets, I think even yesterday and has diluted as this is getting in the crypto sphere, because in all of the things we're going to talk about what Bitcoin is, this Bitcoin, what is it series, uh, medium of exchange is kind of where Bitcoin over, you know, in kind of the last few years, kind of its short history here, The most competitive these altcoins can be with Bitcoin is as a medium of exchange. Um, That's where they're definitely have, you know, kind of found themselves like all of these altcoins and different kind of uh, crypto assets are definitely trying to compete with Bitcoin in the medium of exchange because Bitcoin originally is, you know, it's not extremely scalable on the layer one of Bitcoin. It, you know, it doesn't process transactions extremely fast. It was a little bit more expensive and Bitcoin represents 41% of all crypto assets. And we're talking about 41% against literally an infinite, infinite number of crappy assets that can be made like in within 10 minutes on the Ethereum network. So uh, what is the real market share of Bitcoin? Probably much higher than 41%. Um, And there are a lot of recent developments that also separate it from these other altcoins, but Yeah, absolutely. As a medium of exchange. It really has been picked already, if you ask me. And obviously, the adoption is still ensuing. But if it's already 41% of an ever-growing crypto sphere, as well as it just became this past year in 2021, the cheapest way for global remittance payments, the cheapest way for global payments uh, that there is. And it's super important to recognize that our economy is going global. It's a global, I mean, we're in a globalization kind of like move and we need a medium of exchange that's going to support being able to transfer money over time and space over very, very vast, I guess you would say like miles or kilometers or what have you. So yeah, I think it's a great medium of exchange and it might just be the medium of exchange of the future for that reason exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, you'd say it's a medium of exchange. I would say it's a medium of exchange. Yeah, so
0: let's look at uh, a couple of non-negotiable properties that a medium of exchange has to meet. Um, The first one is that it's got to be readily acceptable, right? The second um, is that it's got to be easily divisible for smaller and larger payments. The third piece is that it's got to be easily and efficiently moved around the economy or the market, right, through various transactions, right? It's got to be efficient. Um, And then the the fourth piece is that it's got to be difficult to counterfeit, right? So let's kind of let's look at these and break this down in in Bitcoin terms, and maybe we can use some other examples here to make it all make sense. But so the first one, right, it's got to be easily or or readily acceptable. Um, That one kind of comes without saying, right, if I if I show up and I've got, you know, mattresses to trade with, you know, and nobody wants the mattresses, well, then we've obviously got a problem, right? Everybody's got to be able to accept uh, whatever that medium of exchange is, in order for transactions to happen, right? The best example is what we use today, and that's the US dollar, right? Uh, you go to the gas station to get gas, or you pay your rent, or your mortgage payment, or your car payment, or you're buying groceries, or whatever it is, uh, you use dollars, right? Whether it's a cash money, or if it's a debit card or a credit card, you're using dollars as the medium of exchange, right? whether you're borrowing money or whether you're using your own money, you're using well,
1: so, dollars. And even as our medium exchange system in America has been built up with these dollars, you can use a credit card, you can use a debit card, you use visa, you use MasterCard. And as a medium of exchange, that's really where the dollar has gotten. It's more, you know, on this credit system where dollars are loaded up onto these cards. And, it is super obviously it's very readily acceptable that's what everybody's accepting it's actually very fast you just need to swipe or tap to pay and it's you know it is not a terrible system it's very liquid cash really is a great medium of exchange in the sense that it's so easily printable obviously <laughs> i think we found out that they, they can easily print it but at these stores as well it's like man um you know, if you're a business owner, and I mean, obviously, I would love, to, I'm going to hopefully get into being a business owner later in my life, but accepting one of these swipes, and then not getting paid until 30 days later, see, like, that is the difference between Bitcoin and the dollar in that sense, where I feel like Bitcoin kind of wins, you know what I'm saying? If we're talking about just talking about the easeability of the use, if we're just talking about, you know, somebody coming in and readily accepting it, the only thing really stopping Bitcoin in that nature is just it's public adoption. I mean, it's, it's, it's not legislated on enough. People still don't see it. And a lot of Bitcoiners, even some famous ones don't know if it'll be a medium of exchange or don't think it will be, but uh, talking about it being competitive with the dollar here in America as something, if you go to a gas station, you pay it, which one really is better for the people, you know, Bitcoin really is better because you're getting that payment finality like that whereas these dollars unless you're getting cash which doesn't happen a whole lot nowadays you're not getting that money until 30 60 days later right i mean i think well, that's- so,
0: yeah so so here's here's an interesting piece i don't know if you watched um that debate that i sent you yesterday on youtube but one point that they get into there is is this piece right and they're talking about medium of exchange and transactions and final settlements and all these pieces right um, so, so typically right now, you know, you use a, a Visa or a Mastercard, or whether wh- whether it's a credit card or whether it's a, a debit card, either way, right? You use these other third parties to utilize the infrastructure of a card and swiping your card, or inserting your chip, or doing the uh, you know you can tap, or you can do Apple Pay, right? I can uh, I can press my uh, I can press my lock button a couple of times and bang, pull up my debit card and I can pay something with my phone, right? So those deals. Um, that's not final settlement right so what what ends up happening there is I pay you know what however much I pay for my gas right at at uh, at quick trip is the local gas station that we use here in Tulsa Um, so I go and, and I pay for my gas and then that transaction has to be settled with between the company that I use for my banking which is Chase so I, the Chase and QuickTrip, they have to settle that transaction on their ledger statements, right? On their on their banking statements, on their balance sheets, right? If you think about accounts payable, accounts receivable, they have to sell that within themselves. But then those transactions have to go up higher to the clearing houses, and then eventually the central bank level to make that transaction final, right? To finally settle that transaction, where in uh, that and to your point, right? That can be. That can be a couple of weeks. That could be a couple of months, depending on the size of the transactions. And and I, I'll be honest here. I haven't gotten all the way into the weeds of how many layers there are and, and what exactly happens all the way up there. But we do know that that it works that way in some sense. And so we, we got to be careful not to compare our transactions on a credit card or or a you know debit card to Bitcoin. You have to compare it to settling finally with the central bank right
1: that's important i mean i feel like that's extremely important people don't realize how important it is you know and how powerful it is you know once you trade something your money is your money and with you know visa and all these guys trying to like settle it that's not your money think about how quickly that can become not your money think about the great depression and bank runs where they didn't have enough cash it's not your money until it's your money. Just like we talk about in Bitcoin, if you hold all of your Bitcoin on an exchange, it's not your Bitcoin unless <laughs> it's your Bitcoin, brother. And <clears throat> I guess it's actually impossible to talk about Bitcoin as a medium of exchange now without talking about the Lightning Network first and foremost. Um, something that okay, so
0: hold on, so so let's so let's mention there. So that is when we talk about the four properties of a medium of exchange. So the Lightning Network here, I think, is going to be that that third property, which is a medium of exchange should be easily and efficiently moved around the economy, right? It's got to be efficiently uh, used in transactions. So hit on the lightning network here a little bit, because we know that layer one technology, the Bitcoin protocol, it, it is a little bit inefficient when it comes to, you know, a ton of uh, transactions. I mean, I think we think, a, uh, I think every block is, is somewhere in that one to 3000 transactions range, right? Mm-hmm. It's somewhere around there. Uh, yeah. And the, uh, that that's not a lot of transactions comparatively, right? I think Visa and MasterCard run somewhere around 24,000 or have the capability to run 24,000 uh, a second or a minute or whatever it is, right? It's drastically more than Bitcoin. So that that poses an issue for Bitcoin as far as scalability goes. But there is, uh, there is development on the network, right? In layer two technology. Griff, I'll let you hit on the Lightning Network because I know you've looked into it a little bit more.
1: No, well- So Bitcoin really as a medium of exchange wasn't even all that feasible up until last year because of what you just said. I I believe it's 4,000 transactions per block on Bitcoin's layer one network. And, you know, that even takes some time. Um, You know, obviously, that's not exactly as scalable as I'd like it to be if it's going to be a global payment system, because the argument to be made for Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, in my opinion, is if it's truly going to be the Internet money, you need to be able to buy things anywhere in the world uh, for nothing. And it needs to be fast and they need to be able to get this internet money and it needs to be able to be settled very quickly. Um, Whereas even something like the dollar, you know, somebody all the way in Europe or uh, somebody all the way in Africa to get them money, right. To just get them money. It's not going to be us dollar. And to get them that money, you're going to pay all kinds of percentage fees and remittance payments and trying to get that money over there and, who even knows what that money is worth? It's a bunch of paper dollars from one country to another backed by one nation state to another. So uh, it's important. And it was it's always been important for Bitcoin. You know, it's establishing itself as a of exchange in a global monetary network, not just a particular local nation state. And it wasn't all that feasible until Taproot was signaled, which, you know, I'm not sure too many people understand how kind of like that voting system works within Bitcoin, but basically all 90, 90 percent of all miners signaled and by signaled when they were hashing for a block, they they put a little piece of code in there for Tapra, which allowed the lightning network to get built on top of Bitcoin. So now Bitcoin has a layer two technology called the lightning network And what the Lightning Network does is it essentially can take up 25, I think it's 25 million, theoretically, 25 million transactions per block. And it can be settled into the Bitcoin layer one. So think about this. It's a layer two protocol where a bunch of Bitcoin is sitting. And me and Nick, if we own a store, uh, Nick owns a quick stop, and I own some gas station all the way over in Europe. As long as you have a laptop and you can run a Lightning node on your laptop, And you can take Lightning payments, which is something we could definitely do a whole episode about. But as long as you take these Lightning payments, you're connected to Nick via the Lightning network. And you can transact with Nick all you want. You actually can operate on the same Lightning node as Nick, and it can be connected. And you guys can put as many as what? I mean, millions and millions and millions and millions of these transactions. And then when you want your final payment finality, you move it from the Lightning network to the Bitcoin network. And it really does take one. The Lightning payments between me and Nick take seconds. And moving it from the Lightning network to the Bitcoin network via this node system happens instantaneously. And so it kind of has fixed Bitcoin scalability problem. People aren't very aware of it because the Lightning network itself, um, miners and developers are not allowing huge transactions to occur yet on the Lightning network. It's still kind of in like, I'd say, I want to say beta. But, but, you know, I mean, just got out of the beta. It's so early. You but go. We're talking about, we're talking about a, a system, right? And it's growing super fast. Shoot. I want to be a part of that node. I want to be a part of that. You're looking at Just, uh,
0: just south of 20,000 lightning nodes, right? Um, and look how
1: fast that adoption is because if you think about it, so here on the, here on, and this is the greatest thing about the lightning network. If me and Nick are to transact literally anything. On the lightning network to submit all 25 million of those like transactions in one block to the bitcoin layer one it's going to cost you about a few satoshis to do so and there's already this great well i guess decentralized app built onto the lightning network called strike in which they take zero dollars in fees if you take a us dollar from your bank account and load it onto to strike you can buy bitcoin for no fees send your Bitcoin anywhere in the world and they can transfer it back into dollars for nothing. And it's actually on the lightning payment system, which is why it happens so fast. And it is literally done for basically as close to zero as there will ever be. If anybody wants to compete with them, they're pretty much just going to have to go to zero, which is how sending money should be. And that's kind of what the internet has allowed. But if you, you know, Nick, if, if you were to tell Amazon, and this is something that's going to happen fast and it's already happening Hey, Amazon, you don't need to pay Visa anymore or MasterCard or any of these guys. And actually, you don't need to wait 30 to 60 days for all of your money to come in. Well, why don't you just take all that money right now? You don't have to wait. Wow. Are you seeing this? Uh, I think it's still loading up, but that's kind of like the Lightning Network in a nutshell. It's a layer two protocol that basically it improves the scalability of Bitcoin well past pretty much any technology that we've ever seen before. And it does so with taking basically little to no transaction fees and it takes a laptop to run your business to operate in this global economy in this kind of this network of lightning nodes that is built on top of the Bitcoin layer one. Mm -hmm. It's really the learning curve I guess is there, but this is something that's kind of already used in El Salvador. And they see how well it works. You just open up, create a lightning invoice, boom, slap it and you got your money. And then when you want to load your money onto the layer one and you want your Bitcoin hashed in the network and you want your Bitcoin to really become your Bitcoin there, it can happen in seconds off of the Lightning Network and it's yours. Mm. And that kind of, I mean, if you want to talk about scalability or you want to talk about the Lightning Network versus Ethereum or Solana or Litecoin or XRP or any of those, I just blew it out of the water. Free well,
0: next. You, can even, you can even compare the Lightning Network to something like Visa or MasterCard that can be built on top of the, the layer one technology that Bitcoin operates on, right? Um, yeah. And that's where, you know, we were kind of talking a little bit about, um, you know, comparing, comparing apples to oranges in that you, people try to compare uh, Bitcoin transactions on the Bitcoin network at layer one to something like your credit card or your debit card, Right. These are layer two technologies, layer two or three or four, right? They, they're not operating on a final settlement the same way that Bitcoin is, right? Um, you have to compare Bitcoin transactions to final settlement at the central bank level, right? That's what we're talking about. And, and, the, and the wildest part about it, right? We talk about efficiency because as markets, as the economy, as the market grows larger and larger and larger, right? We all know what the internet did um, for the, the information age and the, uh, the global economy that has now been created because of it. Right. And as we grow into, uh, a larger economy, whether that's on a, on a, on a country scale or a global scale, we've got to be more and more and more and more efficient, right. Which, which, you know, efficiency and, and, and soundness of money, you know, nurtures the innovation that, that has to happen in order to improve all the other elements that come along with, Growing an economy, growing in prosperity as a country, as humanity, right? All of these things that we have to have sound money and innovation in order to do those things. But anyways, um, so it's it's definitely interesting to look at uh, the final settlement versus um, versus uh, uh, the credit cards and debit cards, right? Um, and, and it's interesting to have the the final settlement and the small transaction done it with the same thing right and it's also a store of value wow we already talked about that right to have all those things in one 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 piece in one product or one commodity one bitcoin right that's uh, immensely efficient and powerful to have all those things in
1: one that's what i was literally just about to say because we just got done talking about how great bitcoin obviously is a store of value and how protected it is with tear hashing and you know, this Bitcoin is your Bitcoin. There's only 21 million. You're never going to get debased by your government or anything like that. But uh, it's the value proposition of it. I mean, like, if you think about it as an investment, is it going to be one of those things where, you know, Amazon and Walmart and all these guys go, holy shit, I just am going to put a bunch of lightning nodes in my stores and I want people to give me Satoshis because if I just accept these Satoshis, I can convert it back to cash for nothing and i can convert it to my actual bitcoin for nothing. You know, so it does have that value proposition for these huge chains because they are spending money with visa with mastercard. They are spending money with central banks. They are losing money to inflation. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, i mean that's a value proposition. And then if you're like, "Oh, whoa, 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 bitcoin can't be this meme exchange and the store of value at the same time." Okay. Well, let's talk about how easy it is as a, to send you know, your net worth over the lightning network or to send everything you're worth over the Bitcoin network versus holding it in cash or trusting a central bank to hold your money. You know, it's not as, it's not theoretically as liquid. It's not theoretically as safe. um, And it kind of works as a store of value, but at the same time, are these other big entities going to take it as me of exchange before, you know, the small guy takes it as the store of value? And it really, the argument could be made that it actually will get adopted as a kind of this, like, I don't want to say full out medium of exchange, but this global medium of exchange where this is how we make trades with other companies. This is how our gov- governments trade with each other, because they're losing money to these companies for transaction fees. They have to wait for final settlement, escrow, all of these types of things that are really no longer needed from basically any standpoint, from speed, from volume, from security Bitcoin is better than anything else out there. And we could talk about it. We talk about cash a lot, but talk yeah. about Ethereum. Ethereum was made to kind of displace Bitcoin as this medium of exchange and as this application service in the Lightning Network is directly competing with Ethereum. You know, Bitcoin, we talked about it as a store of value, is not really competing with any of these other altcoins out there in the, in the market. As a store of value, because most of those altcoins, even if you ask their founders, besides Ethereum, they're not going after Bitcoin. They're going after Ethereum's application service. The Lightning Network is a layer two protocol that's open source, meaning any business can attach themselves to this Lightning Network and build an app within the Lightning Network. So all of a sudden, all of their payments, everything they're doing is involved in this Bitcoin layer two protocol like Strike. Okay, so what are we waiting for? One one person to build an open source protocol for NFTs on the Bitcoin network? Bye-bye everybody else. I mean, like, what are we talking about in terms of medium of exchange? is yeah. higher gas fees. XRP is in litigation because it's a company that, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, you're trading their tokens. Bitcoin is a commodity. It's free. It's nobody is in control of it. And, you know, you, I mean, Nick is not really like, I don't think I have to convince Nick over here that these altcoins are obviously not a better medium of exchange or anything like that. But I'd love to get somebody on here to talk about and tell me why we need any of these altcoins anymore when I just explained yeah. what what the Lightning Network is and what it's doing because it really does make it that perfect medium of exchange. And people, I think we could get back to people, you know, get very like unit bias. There's only 21 million Bitcoin. Well, how the hell are we going to medium of exchange twenty one million Bitcoin, right? I mean, people don't even know what a satoshi is, so maybe this is a good time to talk about that. Before you get into that satoshi, uh,
0: yeah. it's an important piece, and that this this has to lead right into that when we talk about medium of exchange. Uh, but I want to go back to a little bit onto the the lightning network, right, um, and kind of relate this a little bit to the to the normal people out there that haven't gotten all the way into the Bitcoin world and, and dove all the way in yet, so. Um, you know, a lot of times um, you hear people say, "Oh, well, you know, why would you why would you buy Bitcoin as an investment or or as a medium of exchange or as a store of value? You can't use it anywhere, right? You can't buy anything with it. So why would you why would you do that, right? Um, think uh, think of whenever the internet uh, whenever the internet took over transactions, right? And people started in grocery stores using computers to process transactions, and then." All the visas and the MasterCards—they built technology on top of the internet in order to work and, and process those transactions. Right? This is no different than that. This is the exact same thing. And to your point, right? Like you said, all it is is a matter of some some developer to say, "Hey, I'm going to build some type of uh, DApp, decentralized application, right, on top of the Lightning Network that will process transactions for." Uh, grocery stores or whatever the store may be, via the Lightning Network, right? And then that store is now able to uh, accept and give change back, right? Via, I guess there's not really a, you know, the, there's not really a change deal, right? When we talk about exchanging with Bitcoin, right? It's just the exact amounts and. All that well, that's why it's
1: a great need of exchange because of its divisibility and what people don't understand about Bitcoin's divisibility. Right? So we will talk about that in two seconds. So you finish so, your talk so, right there. So,
0: so it's interesting, right? You know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you can't buy anything with it. It's literally just as simple as, as hey, we're just going to switch over to this system now, right? How many times do, um, How many times do people get a new laptop, right? Or they get a new phone or, you know, people switch from iPhone to Android or Android to iPhone. And it's a new phone and it's cool, but we got to figure out how to use it. You know, you got to get kind of comfortable with how it works and you kind of got to relearn the system or you buy a new car and you're, you're used to driving the car that you had previously been driving and you get in and you really like the new feel of the car, but it's it's a new feel for sure, right? You kind of got to get used to it again. And this is no different than that, right? It, it's going to happen the, almost the exact same way. We're all going to use our phones to pay for shit. We're all going to you know, work agree. in that type of way. You know, It's just a matter right. of we just got to shift the infrastructure from the current system that we operate on with all of these different intermediaries, right? All the clearinghouses, all the visas, all the MasterCards, which that's not to say that they can't build on top of the Lightning Network and Visa and MasterCard still be the big guys that everybody uses, right? There's nothing to say that that can't happen, right? Um, but at the end of the day, we know that a, a Bitcoin is – uh, Bitcoin as a store of value can hold that economic value that we create, but we can also use that Bitcoin to transact via the Lightning Network, right? And we can use the applications that whoever these developers, companies, whoever they are that end up developing these, we can use their systems and their protocols and their platforms, which is perfectly fine, right? And then at that point, then, you're, then they're competing in the open market for who, who's, who's got the most trustworthy service right now. Right. I think right now, the greatest example, like you have mentioned already, is strike. Right. The user interface is so simple. It's so basic. It's so easy to use. It's so easy to uh, send money from your bank to strike mm-hmm. and money from strike to your bank. And you can buy and sell Bitcoin uh, directly on the lightning network with strike. And you can send your money to your cold wallet or hard wallet. However it is right your private your private secured storage right and so 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 that's kind of an important piece right there when we talk about like the regular people, how does this actually work? how do we actually use it right that's that's what the step is right' it's, it's the shift in infrastructure, which is you know if everybody got on the same page tomorrow, this could be done in I don't know a couple of months you know it's going to take some time to build the technology and put it all together and, and bring it into the stores and set it all up, but it can be done very fairly easy
1: right I think everybody needs to look no further than this I was talking my mom's birthday was a couple of days ago so I hopped on the phone and was talking to her for a while and I can remember back when I was a kid when I mean like cell phones were out when we were kids but smartphones weren't smartphones came out kind of when I think I was in like I think that was like 2012 so like 2011 2010 2012 and then they kind of just got better and better and better obviously but uh <clears throat> I can remember you know my mom saying first and foremost she was like man these cell phones, who should have a cell phone? The president, like only the president needs a cell phone. Like why would everybody else need a cell phone? Literally, that's what she used to say. And then it got over time. Then he had smartphones. And now all of a sudden my mom's over here. Why don't we all have smartphones as she's playing Scrabble for seven hours a day, not knowing that that is just a perfect product of what an open source free market internet is, is that you can have things like Scrabble right here in front of your face on your phone. It's awesome. But she was like, she just does not understand you know, how fast this technology kind of is taking over. And I think with Bitcoin speaking, it's going to be, it's going to be kind of like the smartphone. Everybody was like, oh, who needs these smartphones? Like, this is like, oh, it's too much. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. And now nobody can get away from it because it's one, it's a marketing machine. Two, it makes everything so easy. I, I was driving just the other day and I was like, oh, I think I go left here. But I'm like, why the fuck would I wait to see if I go left here and not just look at all? Like, you don't want to make mistakes. Nobody does. You don't have time to waste to just make stupid mistakes. And having the internet right there on the palm of your hand is amazing. And so I think being able to transact and what the internet economy, you know, and Bitcoin, what is it, will get to what we really are trying to get to here at the end. But it is absolutely a medium of exchange. And to have access to... Being able to send money anywhere in the world for anything you want to anybody for whatever reason, and it's actually be your fucking money right then and there, no waiting for banks, no waiting for a government, no way to really tax, there's no tax system within Bitcoin, guys, so the only time you're going to pay taxes is when you sell it or report it, um, which you know, nation states are going to have to figure out how they want to treat Bitcoin users because it is a different demographic of people. It's a bunch of people who know that this is, this whole system is bullshit and paying taxes is makes no sense. But I compare it a little bit to these smartphones in that, yeah, it happened really fucking fast. I mean, the first smartphone came out in what, like late 2000s, maybe 2010, somewhere around there, if I remember right. And I didn't get one until my senior year. I was a kid who had like a cell phone and like a iPod and I called it my smartphone, but I'd carry around both. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think I can it to that mostly because it's like, yeah, it happened fast because that's just what people wanted. And at the end of the day with Bitcoin, nobody owns it, which is the true decentralization of it will prove to be so important as people get it smarter and understand the difference between Bitcoin and these other ones. Um, But that true decentralization is what people will really crave, because that's what really the underlying thing that people crave within the Internet is that they like to believe they're not really censored now, even though there's a lot of censorship that goes on because of the lack of understanding of the Internet in the general public. But
0: well, there you're talking about platforms, right? You're talking that that's layer two technology you're talking about corrupted, right? Not -hmm. the not the not the layer one of the Internet. But wait
1: wait until Bitcoin really takes over and there's more apps built onto this layer, too, that are truly decentralized. Now, all of a sudden, people are not even interacting with, you know, tech company corporations and their censorship bullshit like Google and Twitter and Facebook and all of this stuff. Wait until it's truly decentralized. And it's like the Internet is not only holy shit. It's not just like this. We don't just transact bitcoin on here this is where my apps are this is where my new twitter is this is like i'm interacting with a different world when it comes to bitcoin and we could talk about how bitcoin is really the only way for there to be like a metaverse and something like that that's how i see it but as a medium of exchange it's just going to be one of those things that truly and this is what i told my mom as i explained to her in the car the other day is she's bashing bitcoin she's like oh i don't know about this bitcoin stuff i said well, how much did you play Scrabble today, mom? She was like five, six hours or I'm just kidding, probably like a couple games. games. Uh, but I was like, do you know how the protocols worked for you to play that game? Do you know how that actually happened? Do you know how the internet works? And she was like, no, I, I just know how to play. And I'm like, exactly. And when it comes to Bitcoin, it's gonna be the same exact thing because Bitcoin, unlike anything else out there, is a truly open source protocol that's just sitting on the internet for anybody to join and for anybody to transact. It's not forced upon anybody. And that's the real adoption you want. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, we're talking about as a medium of exchange, can this thing be adopted? Well, people thought smartphones were crazy. Now everybody has one. People are going to want to be able to transact like that in a truly decentralized way mm. via the smartphones much faster than, than people think. It's not It's not really any more complicated than they're being defrauded. Inflation is coming. We realize that this dollar is not as great as we had thought. We can't trust these banks the way that we thought definitely can't trust these politicians in their relationships with the fed, like we thought. Um, And so people will naturally come on over and that just like strike, there's going to be even things better than strike or strike is going to become even better. And why would you wait? Or why would you not want to use it? You know, it's, you know, we're in the early adopter phase um, of this technology, but when it comes to a great technology like Bitcoin, you just have to have that unwavering belief that yes, it's going to get built onto it, as well as the developers in this space are unequivocally the best in the space and the best in the world when it comes to these fintech and just global remittance payments or building an economy on the internet. They're pretty damn good. I mean, my favorite one's Jack Maulers, because he's the he's the zap CEO, I believe, and the founder of Strike and he, I think he played a pretty decent role in kind of getting that lightning network up and going. And, you know, it's pretty fantastic what he did, but that's how I compare it, Nick. I mean, like there's probably many other comparisons, but we all use smartphones every single day and you're literally, you're roaming the world with the internet. Why would you not roam the world with the internet economy too? It's why would you not roam the world being able to just, okay, pay, pay, pay. Why do you need cards? Why do you need all this other stuff? This is so much easier to keep on you right than anything else and hopefully there's more companies that get into like building phones you know besides android and apple i think that might be more of the issue there than than anything else but uh yeah i don't
0: know tell me me what you think about this here because i think uh i think something that's that's also uh i don't know if i would call it a a hindrance um but you know you, you you think about um older generations look to the internet, you know, look at, uh, look at uh, what's his, what's his nuts? Uh, Schiff, Peter Schiff, right? Yeah. Peter Schiff looks at this and he's like, Bitcoin has no value. It's got no intrinsic value. Okay. I mean, we're not going to get into this right now. We know that this is, this is just a dumb statement. We'll talk about this at some point. We're not getting into it now, but, but those types of things, right. Where, where people are like, what is the real intrinsic value of, of Bitcoin? And we talked about this a little bit last time in, in the store value episode, right? But um, this, this hurdle that we've got to get so many people over um, of Bitcoin works, right? I mean, right now, I don't hardly ever use cash. I use, uh, I use money from my smartphone uh, to, to pay and transact to buy all my stuff from my bank account, right? And I use my phone with Apple Pay and I can pay just with my phone, right? I don't hardly ever have to use my wallet for anything anymore, right? Um, and, and Bitcoin will operate no different than that, except the protocols and all of these things that it's built upon are vastly different from the current system that we operate in. But the, but the big piece that I wanna mention is that with our smartphones, with Apple Pay or whatever types of systems and platforms are built to use Bitcoin as a transaction medium of exchange, it'll be no different than, than the way that I can double press my, my uh, uh, lock button and open up my debit card, or I can open up my, I can open up my Apple card, or one of these days, I'll be able to choose something on here, and it will be my Bitcoin wallet, right? It'll be my lightning wallet. Oh, it'll, be and I
1: lightning absolutely, it'll absolutely be your lightning wallet. That will be what it is, because it's oh. so, because that's what we're talking about. There's only 21, 20,000 lightning nodes, And guys, all it takes to run a Lightning node is learning how to download the software onto your laptop and then accepting it and just processing these transactions yourself and then learning how to process a transaction from the Lightning network on your laptop to the Bitcoin network. And network. That, you want to know what that takes to operate on the Bitcoin network and operating a Bitcoin node? Just more computer power and storage space. And then you can download the whole Bitcoin. You can literally download the whole ledger and then you're a business participating in the global economy. No and- no fees going anywhere else. No government playing any role. No bank needed to settle any transactions. It's settled. It's yours. It's right there. And any business owner, promise you, if you've ever been in outside sales talking to any business owner, you know that they want their money now and they want, their, they want their money. They don't want to wait any kind of time. They don't want to pay any kind of fees. It takes away out of the business operations. It takes it off the top line. It's no good. It's no good for business. It's no good for capitalism. And Bitcoin really does just solve that issue not just locally, but we're talking about worldwide and how is this going to help economies of scale, globalization, getting people more jobs in third world countries, getting people banked in third world countries, getting people to participate in a bigger global economy. This is going to be huge and it's going to develop the world. It's going to send us to the next age and hopefully kind of like a renaissance or golden age, but, uh, Let's apologize to our listeners, Nick, because we're probably, we were right online. I think we've talked about two of the four things about what a mean of exchange is and like why Bitcoin is so great. And we apologize to our listeners. Uh We love Bitcoin Uh and we are very passionate about it because it really truly is. We don't own it. Nobody pays us to talk about it. Nobody pays me to sound so crazy about it. Um, But it really is. Great, And it really is something that, you know, we're trying to just learn about as well as we, me and Nick got into Bitcoin because of other inf- Bitcoin influencers and listening to them. And, and there's probably a saying or two that really triggered us. And we're like, man, that makes sense. And we might be uh, economy, you know, like, or sorry, economics majors or business marketing majors, or that might be kind of our style. That might be what we like. Uh, and that might be why we got into it faster than other people or earlier than most. <clears throat> but we really just want to reach out and we're trying to spread this awareness of this is the truth. Like we're not just talking about some lightning network. That's like some fantasy goo gaga shit. Like it's really here. <laughs> and, and, if you're, and if you're kind of just somebody who, whether you have a big 401k or you're waiting around to retire, or you're a young person and you think buying a small piece of Bitcoin is silly Guys, this market that it's going after is trillions and trillions of credit dollars that don't even exist. Bitcoin is going to eat up all of this stuff as an investment. And you're going to want to have a good foothold in this new space, in this new world. You're going to want to have this money. Um, and we just kind I just want to say we apologize. We're going to try to get back on online here to what. OK, you know, yeah. So so let's
0: hop. Let's hop back in here. We, we, you about got into it here a second ago, but the, the second property of a medium of exchange is that it's got to be easily divisible, right? It's got to be able to be used for large right. payments as well as smaller payments, right? We we want to buy a house, well, that's going to be a larger payment, right? But we also want to buy our gas or uh, you know a candy bar or something at the at the gas station, right? So we've got to be able to use that medium of exchange for large transactions as well as small ones. So you know we we talk about the the twenty one million Bitcoin. That's the the total fixed supply. And, and uh, at some point, we'll get into the having cycles, and we'll talk a little bit more about the stock, the flow, and, and all these types of things. But um, right now, we've got about 18, 19 million uh, Bitcoin in total circulation, um, and that number will increase and, and slowly decrease, the, the flow of it will decrease to where it, uh, it'll be fixed around that 21 million uh, Bitcoin number. But the, the question that you were, you were posing earlier is, if there's 21 million, how, how in the hell is everybody globally going to use twenty one million Bitcoin to make all transactions? Griff, why don't we uh, why don't we get into this and, and break down what what a what a Bitcoin breaks down into?
1: Well, since we already talked about like I guess the payment, we've talked about the payment system, we talked about what the Lightning Network is, we have talked about how you know honestly what we talked about this first long segment is. Bitcoin as like kind of an investment into the medium of exchange, like the market, that medium of exchange is, and what big, how much better Bitcoin is and how much is advancing it. Now we have to talk about, well, if there's only 21 million, there's what, 8 billion people would like, how does that work? Well, what people don't understand is a breakdown of one Bitcoin is a Satoshi. And what a Satoshi is, is one 100 millionth of a Bitcoin, meaning That is the unit that you can use outside of just one full Bitcoin. Bitcoin is perfectly divisible in the sense that it's computer money, so it can be broken down into decimal points to the 100 millionth, and it's called a Satoshi. I'm honestly not too sure where the name, like, I don't know why Satoshi was picked. Maybe it was actually Satoshi himself who said, oh, it's one Satoshi, maybe it was I, I honestly, it's crazy that I don't know the answer to that. Maybe you? Do you yeah. know the answer? I'm,
0: I'm not sure. No, I was just thinking about it. Um, and, and you oh. know, t- to the point of uh, of divisibility, right? You've got one Bitcoin, right? Right. Um, that's worth 100 million satoshis, right? If you think about oh. it, an easy way to compare oh. this for all the regular Joes out there, it's cents to dollars, right? That's all we're doing here, right? It's it's portions, it's portions of a Bitcoin, right? So one satoshi is one 100 millionth of a Bitcoin. Now, let's right. say you could even break it down further and say, hey, let's break down every Satoshi down to, I don't know, call it 1 million knocks. You could call them knocked, right? Satoshi sat,
1: right. Him, so knock. You definitely go further, right? Like I, I haven't <laughs> seen anybody go further and maybe we will never need to go further because break down 21 million Bitcoin into a 2.1 quadrillion Satoshis. Do we need, do you need more? Do you know, like, do you need to break it down to one? 1 1 billionth of a bitcoin and call it something else and maybe we will in the future but you know for now like okay that's tw- 2.1 quadrillion that's that's more than there are US dollars in cir- like in circulation that's almost yeah. more than there are paper dollars so it really is perfectly divisible and why that's important to talk about is we talked about bitcoin as a store of value in this like gold standard and <clears throat> how much better honestly economies were in like in a gold backed world for over 2000 years and the difference between that world and the world we live in today where nothing's really backed on anything. Um, why that's super important is that gold at a certain point was picked and it would have been used as a mean of exchange, but it's not divisible. It has a divisibility issue. While it's a very hard form of money, like we talked about it as a store of value, gold is not divisible. Like you can't cut gold. It's hard to move. It's heavy. It doesn't work the same way that Bitcoin works, where you can break it down to one one hundred millionth and you can send any in the world, anywhere in the world for free. Great. So it just knocked out gold. It just knocked out metals, and it probably just knocked out any physical piece of paper because it's faster, it's easier, it's more divisible, and it's you can trust it more. So um, think, of it, think you know, of it
0: like think of it like this here for for a basic example. So um, we talk about you know breaking down one the value of one bitcoin into one hundred million pieces, right? And each one of those is a satoshi. So let's look at the the current market price for one bitcoin. And we've got to look at this compared to the US dollar right now, which is what it's valued in, right? So if we did, uh, if we had one Bitcoin and that's worth, uh, I'm I'm actively watching it here, $34,700, and we divide that, that's one Bitcoin, we divide that by 100 million, right? Which would give us the amount that that one Bitcoin would be worth, right? In one Satoshi. So if we divide that by 100 million, that gives us the, the value of one Satoshi is 0. 0.000347 uh, of, of a dollar, right? Or of, of, a, of one Bitcoin. That's the value of it in US dollars. So we're talking about fractions and fractions and fractions of a of a penny, right? I mean, we're not, we're not talking about anything,
1: you know? Any amount of money in the world right now on the Bitcoin network, and you pay like on the Lightning Network, I want to believe it's like three or four or five Satoshis to get it done. Like even in the future, we're talking about you'd be sending $5 to send 50 million. We didn't ask anybody right now. That's not possible. That's not how, that's not how the globe, that's not how global payments work right now. Yeah. Um, I think the normal transaction fee for a global payment is 6.5%. Um, we can, we can definitely try to back that, <clears throat> but uh, it's expensive. It costs money. And uh, I think the divisibility issue is really as simple as we talked about it as transactions, obviously. So medium exchange, it, yeah, it definitely works. And, People definitely have recognized Bitcoin as as a, a form of money, which makes it a medium of exchange. Now the divisibility problem, well, it's a harder form of money than gold, yet perfectly divisible, which eliminates the need for, in my opinion, a stable coin or something to be attached to it. We don't, you know, it's the first time we've ever had a money that's perfectly divisible and is a great store of value. And that'll get, I guess, later in some more podcasts when we'll talk about Bitcoin. What is it? That's why we're doing this. We're trying to, we're really trying to encapsulate everything that Bitcoin could possibly be. And it definitely is this medium of exchange from a divisibility and transaction standpoint. What is the, what was the third property of medium of exchange? That you said? Uh, uh,
0: yeah, the third property was it's got to be easily and efficiently moved around the economy. And we hit on that a lot with the, uh, with the lightning yeah. networks and stuff. One that we have not hit on here is the fourth, which is it must be difficult to counterfeit. Um, so he, here's kind of a, a deal that I'd wrote, uh, and I've got some notes here that we're kind of going off of. But so the fourth piece, right, it's got to be difficult to counterfeit. Another way people refer to this is the hardness of money. Um, the harder a money is, the more difficult it is to counterfeit, right? It's good to have hard money because you can't counterfeit it, right? If a medium of exchange isn't hard or difficult to counterfeit, it would create uncertainty in the market. People would be cautious to accept payments as it may be fake money worth nothing, Right. Um, that one's pretty straightforward, right? We our, our medium of exchange, our money. It's got to be uh, pretty difficult to counterfeit. Um, and we had talked, we had we'd hit on some some of these pieces here within the the store of value episode previously um, about about how it's difficult to recreate and forge transactions within the Bitcoin network. Um, and I think that w- w- we're going to have to do a full separate episode about how the blockchain works. Um, again, we've we've I think we've said that just about every episode, but We'll get into that, but but yeah, I mean Bitcoin right. is is hard money. Bitcoin is the hardest form of money that we've got right now. Before Bitcoin, the hardest form of money was gold. And I I, I believe that, right? Now sure. there's issues, there's issues with gold as a medium of exchange, right? Because it's it's difficult to move around in large quantities. And that's where you saw silver, right? Silver was used as um representation of a portion of gold right it is it, it was a lesser value so you could keep le- you could keep a smaller amount of silver in your pocket to make smaller transactions but you could also go buy th- some big transactions right with you know a, a an ounce of gold or w- whatever it was
1: which is a great example you're bringing up because that was i believe like right after they were trading seashells and it was kind of more of a barter system they got on a gold standard thousands of years ago and the greeks you know, they started to, uh, I believe, use silver coins that were 100% silver with gold backing it, Right, gold for larger transactions, silver for like the everyday stuff. <clears throat> and it worked for a while until the government got extremely greedy, which is something that you can see. Uh, this is a great history lesson. But uh, what the government did, I believe, the I think whatever you want to call the Greek government, this was like 600 BCE, I believe, but they just started to Dilute the silver. So it went from 100% silver coins to 99% to 98% because they were producing more and more and more of them. And what they realized is that you can't just put more money in there because it invalidates what the money is and it creates mistrust in your society as well as supply shortages. <laughs> there's, you know, if there's just like what's happening in America today when there was so much money printed for COVID and now you can go to the grocery store and there's not as much stuff there. An economy is not ready for money to get diluted like that.
0: Well, think, think about this from a from a very classical economic standpoint, right? If you assume a fixed amount of goods and services in the market and you flood the money supply and increase the money supply, naturally, you are going to spend, you're going to have to spend more money on those same goods and services because the supply has grown so much, right? And, yeah. and I think something that's really interesting to note about that, right, is it's not that it's not that it costs more to buy something. You know, if you go buy a, a lunch somewhere, it's not that your lunch costs more, or a house costs more, or gas costs more. It's that your dollar has been devalued. There, therefore, you have to spend more of those dollars to buy right. the same value of
1: good. Exactly, because what you're messing up is when you print all of these dollars, where you dilute silver let's use like, I think uh, maybe a good example is like TVs. I think in this past year, basically we've run out of TVs or lumber, what what have you. It's not that the lumber became less valuable. It's that the demand for it became much higher and the supply could not keep up because the demand is so high because they're, you know, they are not ready for there just to be a whole bunch more dollars into the ecosystem. So somebody There's goes out. Money. There's more money in the system. People, money and people, buy people this, are buying people building it messes up supply and the demand of any good that you want to break down in the moment that you know the equilibrium shifts in the industry or a market or on a good um because of monetary debasement it's not like it's not natural like it's 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 messed up because no supplier can be ready for it and what they're going to have to do is obviously one they're going to run out of product like we have in a lot of things in america and two they're going to have to raise their prices because they don't the demand is so high because you know people in theory, think they're rich. But what's really happening is that these suppliers just have to find out that they need to charge more to keep your ass away. Because yeah, they'd love to sell you infinite number of everything, but they don't have an infinite supply of every good. And so if you just print money or dilute silver like the Romans or Greeks found out, you're going to mess up your economy. And if you mess up your economy and you create mistrust in your economy and people don't want to take silver coins anymore, people don't want to take whatever your medium of exchange is, TNT that motherfucker. It's done. Like your country, your country's done because a country's held up on the foundation that when you go to work, like we bring this all the way back to our first podcast, we're all working, we're all using our time to get this money. And you want to be able to exchange it so that you can get some goods for it. But if somebody goes around and just debases it or prints a bunch of it and gives it out for free and really dilutes what how valuable that money is, it, it it might be great, but that's why you can't just print money because money is natural. It's like a natural. I don't know. It's like the weather is what I say nowadays. It's like you can't just print it because at the end of the day, what you're going to mess up is that individual supply and demand of every little market and
0: the certainty and the predictability of the market, which is a big piece, right? You've got to be able to have and hold some type of medium of exchange so that you can right. use it later on. Right, I mean, I get I get paid uh, every other week, right? And I don't spend every single one of those dollars as soon as I get it. I, I have I, I I buy a little bit here, I I buy lunch over there, I pay for gas over here. That that's over a couple of weeks, right? And yeah. uh, if there's no certainty or predictability in the market, well, then I, I don't want to hold a lot of this. I got to just keep spending it, right? Which is kind of where we're at right now with inflation, oh. right? I'm not storing cash. I'm not storing U.S. dollars. For the long term, that's going to assets. It's going to Bitcoin. It's going to equities, right? That's that's going somewhere. That's that's going to grow, right? Um, so he, here's another piece here that that's interesting. Um, you know, one one piece about um, the fixed supply that's very important uh, when it comes to the medium of exchange. And you kind of hit on it a second ago. Um, pretty much with anything else in the world, right? Uh, if the value of that thing goes up people will naturally go to create more of that, right? Because it's profitable, right? Think of, uh, think of gold. Let's look at gold, for example, right? We, we always talk about gold as, as an example. So if uh, it, you, you've got the existing supply of gold, right? And let's say that that existing supply of gold, for whatever reason, everybody decides they're going to put money in gold and the price of it doubles, triples, quadruples, whatever that number you want it to be for it to be a huge amount of growth, right? now think of all these gold miners, they're going to be incentivized to put more money into mining gold, and to into researching and finding where more gold is at. Because if they do find that gold, it's much more valuable, right? And it makes that business more profitable. Therefore, typically with any other type of commodity or good or service, the more value it has, the more it will be produced, right? The more it will be created and and put into the economy, right? Because the value of it is high. This is one thing that that can't happen with Bitcoin. And that is very valuable because you can't can't debase the value of that thing, right? Think of of now the issue that we're seeing with inflation with the United States dollar. Uh, We've got the fixed supply, the stock of the dollar, right? And then you've got this huge inflow over the last couple of years because the Fed is printing money, right? We've got this huge inflow of new dollars into the system. And because of that, we're seeing, we're seeing the active inflation that's happening in life, right? We've got we've to use more dollars to pay for the same amount of gas that we always got. We've got to use more dollars to pay for the same groceries that we always got, right? We talked about that a little bit. Um, this is one thing that's very powerful when it comes to Bitcoin about the, uh, not only the store of value, right, but the medium of exchange and, and some other things that we're going to get into in, in future episodes. But uh, the, the, as the value of Bitcoin goes up, as more and more people adopt it and use it, as a store of value in a medium of exchange as bitcoin values go goes up more of it can't be produced it's fixed that means that that you almost you almost enter into a deflationary economy right where your bitcoin increases in value so much at such a rapid pace that you might buy the same groceries next month for less bitcoin than you bought for them than you bought them for today right and that, and I think that only happens up to a certain point, right, because you get up to a certain point of mass adoption where um, where you plateau, right, where the vast, vast, vast majority of people use Bitcoin as their store of value and medium of exchange, that those things will regulate out, right, and plateau, which is a good thing, because then that creates the stability and the predictability, the certainty in the markets, right, which you have to have if you're going to store something for the long term, but also use that, that uh, commodity or or money as a medium of exchange, because you've got to have the certainty and the peace of mind that, hey, this, you know, 1 million Satoshis is going to be able to buy me all the goods that I need for the month, right? Whatever that amount is, right? And that's something we'll have to talk about too, as far as how do we denominate this in Bitcoin? You know, we've talked about this at one point, like how much does a haircut cost? How much does, you know, I need a new pair of jeans, you know, how much does a pair of jeans cost in Satoshis or my gas or groceries or whatever the example may be?
1: I think it's I think it's interesting that you got to the point of deflationary, which was really cool. Uh, I think what we're finding out in this conversation, I think me and Nick often when we have when we're getting on here and talking, <clears throat> we're still I mean like if we're still learning, right? If you're in Bitcoin, it, it is where it's like it's almost a renaissance when it comes to money. Like everybody who's in it, even the developers, even like the early guys who have a ton of it, or you know, know it know even more than me and Nick know about it, or read more than me and Nick have read about it. <clears throat> Everybody is still learning because anybody's guess uh, for how sound, perfectly divisible, transactable money is for an economy, right? Like we're still all going to learn what that can do. And Nick hit on. Uh, it being deflationary, and I think what we really have found out in this conversation is that not only is Bitcoin a medium of exchange, like it is to store value, so we can check both boxes. Uh, As Bitcoin, what is it? We can probably confirm in stamp of approval it is a great medium of exchange. It is a medium of exchange, but it transcends a medium of exchange. Bitcoin has turned economics into a science. Bitcoin has also turned money into like like it's a technological advancement on money. It's the first one we've had ever. I mean, I mean like a real technological uh, innovation to what is money. The last time that it was done was gold. And then this fiat standard almost feels like a science experiment gone wrong or in, you know, in some people's opinion with a lot of quote unquote conspiracy theorists out there uh, is a state attack on the people. Um, When you inflate the people's dollar, who are you really hurting? You're hurting the people. Then we're not talking about your friends who own eight houses and have nice like, chunks of real estate, although they're attacking them as well. Um, we're talking about basically you know, f- probably 50% or 40% of our country who work paycheck to paycheck. I'm not sure what the actual statistic is, but this fiat standard as a mean of exchange, like Nick is saying, it, it is not good for the people. And that's why when we, I think like on the description of this podcast, Bitcoin is an economy and it is a money by the people for the people. Um, and it's super important to remember that, and I think it's super important to realize in this conversation, this is transcending a medium of exchange. This is making a medium of exchange. It's giving it a new definition. It's giving it a new meaning, Um, and it's quite honestly like if we've just broken down all four properties in of exchange, it's a better medium of exchange than anything we've ever had before, Um, and when it comes down to it, what is it not great at, and I think the only thing that we haven't fully hit on is that it cannot be double spent Bitcoin. So it is perfectly, uh, it's protected, right? Because it's on an open source peer-to-peer ledger system. And the only way there would be a false block to come onto the system is if somebody was able to have over 51% of the hash power and uh, put a fake block on there and do all this kind of crazy stuff. <clears throat> so it's going to be really hard. You can't double spend Bitcoin. That's kind of like the point. You can't dilute it. Yeah. There is no, there is no making fake Bitcoin. Um, and maybe as me and Nick learned a little bit more about how coding and <laughs> those types of things work, we could explain that more in depth to you. Uh, but you can read about it. I mean, You can read about how the hash system works, how the proof of work system works, and how it prevents double spending and what an open source peer-to-peer ledger system is. Uh, the day I get the Bitcoin, the day I get a nicer laptop and throw the Bitcoin network onto it, I will, I will screen record the ledger system or whatever it might be to everybody so that they can see that it's a real thing um but i think it's interesting that this conversation has basically led to us saying dude this is like it is a medium exchange but it's not like just a medium exchange it's like the best medium exchange we've ever seen in the world and what can that do for the world i think we'll have to talk about that maybe even in a more later podcast just because bitcoin what is it medium exchange like can we say approved (laughs) like can we say it's a medium exchange
0: 100% approved hey so here's something i was checking out you know we talk about um, the infrastructure, right, that we've got to create. Um, here, here's just uh, one service, right? This is Umbral um, that allows you to, you know, buy, it, buy and create your own personal server, right, where you can run and verify your own Lightning transactions. I believe they also have a Bitcoin node that you can run as well. Um, but, you know, he, here's a simple service that um, that allows you to do that. Right now, I'm not going to say that this is easy, right? There's some coding here. Uh, I'm not going to say that this is easy, um, but it's all there, right? It's, I mean, just like anything else in life that's meaningful, right? It's not easy. Um, you're going to have to put some time into to develop this thing, right? But I mean, look at this. You can see these pictures here that are coming through from Twitter. Um, these guys running their own, uh, their own uh, lightning network uh, nodes, as well as their own Bitcoin nodes, right? Um, you know, so it's like, it's all there. I
1: that's too, Nick, like this is, probably a great technology and maybe this is like the next thing everybody will get one of those but i'm sure that company goes okay you know we're getting a market we're we're making some money we're finally getting like we're getting our product out there our disruptive technology is getting out there but bitcoin is a disruptive technology and then anybody who builds a company on the lightning network is building an even more or is making bitcoin even more disruptive to the world that we see today and yeah it's a good thing that's what technology has done technology is disruptive anybody you talk to about like that lives in silicon valley or what all those companies are trying to do they're trying to create disruptive technologies uber is disruptive doordash is disruptive those types of twitter is disruptive vrbo and airbnb disruptive. that is disruptive and it changes industries and quite honestly what we had talked about in getting deflationary technology really is supposed to make the world cheaper Because it's the it's an easier spread of information for free over time and space, just like Bitcoin basically gives us the ability to transact money over time and space for free, which is something the world's never seen before. And how can that make everything deflationary? Maybe we'll like maybe we'll like go into a podcast about, you know, pair Bitcoin with things like I am a regenerative medicine salesman. Um, think about if we all transact on Bitcoin and Bitcoin can get rid of these insurance companies and kind of displace the healthcare system, which it very well could, how much cheaper is it going to be to get, you know, these great medical technologies that are being created to the people? It's mm-hmm. going to make it a lot cheaper because you're going you don't need, I don't, you don't need the insurance as much. You don't need uh, all of these creditors and all of this bullshit when it's an open source ledger system and your money is boom, it's backed. How do you see if somebody's made payments? they give it to you or not? Is it on the ledger system or not? It, it'll make it so much easier to track everybody's kind of like credit in that sense, or it'll validate, maybe even validate the credit system that we have today as, you know, like a backed form of money. And then over time, it will become more of the medium of exchange. Um, but that's a podcast, I guess, for another day. How, how does Bitcoin displace our credit system? How does Bitcoin displace the healthcare system that we see today? <clears throat> it's very possible. Um, And we're going to put together podcasts. I hope for that because what me and Nick are really trying to talk about with you guys after this Bitcoin, what is it? Store value medium exchange. And I think this next next week we're going to talk about probably how it is digital property and how it could displace the real estate market or capture some of the real estate uh, market's value and how it is going to change that industry and how it's disruptive there as well. Um, But me and Nick are going to talk about how, you know, work back, General contracting, as Nick is in, how is it going to disrupt general contracting and change the industry? How is Bitcoin going to change all these industries? And in essence, when people say Bitcoin fixes this, we're going to probably, we're, not probably, we're going to break down some of these industries and we're going to find answers to how does Bitcoin change the government? How does Bitcoin change the healthcare system? How does Bitcoin change a mom and pop shop? Does it help it? Is it good? Yes, it's good. little. <laughs> But we're going to try and break down, like, why we feel like it's good and um, try not to talk out of our asses a little bit and even do more research <laughs> on how it's going to do some of the things we say it's going to do. But uh, it's really interesting how disruptive all of these things are and how disruptive Bitcoin and Umbral and, and Strike and Zap and, and CoinIOS and like all of these ecosystems that are built on Bitcoin, how truly disruptive that is. And it's, we're in like, we're in the fetal stages of this thing. I mean, we are in like the very, very, very beginning and a sound form of money with the introduction of 3D printing, regenerative medicine. Like, um, we're talking smartphones. We're talking uh, Neuralink with uh, Elon Musk. We're talking Starlink. We're talking SpaceX. We're talking about all these crazy things. You're going to need a form of money that can make all of these things feasible or else we're just going to be printing till it goes burr. And there's going to be very poor, poor people. And there's going to be very, very rich people. And it's going to be a caste system faster than you think with the way technology is going. And it doesn't, I, I think Nick, maybe this is a good talking point. This, the dollar doesn't meet uh, technology very well. Like this can, I always mispronounce it. Can you see in economics? Is that, is, can Keynesian economics,
0: Keynesian economics,
1: yeah. Keynesian economics and inflation, the inflationary model, it doesn't really work with technology, and I think that might really be one of the big issues we're seeing today. Is like maybe it worked in the old days, like maybe it worked in 1971 all the way up until now, but now that technology is here, one that we're able to see it and communicate that this is an issue in real time, and two, the fact that we see like, okay, we have these great technologies. We don't need to waste all of this money with you guys. We don't need to waste all of like these percentage points and make these things so much more expensive for the old traditional system. We just need the internet, and it really makes things cheaper, which is good for everybody. And that's so what really what technology is here to provide.
0: Uh, you made uh, you made a point earlier that um, that the 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 more dis or the, the more applications and platforms that are built upon the Bitcoin network, the more disruptive it is. It's, it's no different with the internet, right? I mean, think of uh, if we had the internet and all you could do on it was email back and forth. Well, that's really good and really cool that we can communicate that way. But we can't disagree that, uh, that, that the internet having all of the, the platforms that it's got on it now, you can't tell, tell me that that's not more disruptive, right? And Bitcoin is no different, right? The more, the more infrastructure and platforms that is built on top of the Bitcoin protocol in the, in the layer one technology, the more disruptive, the more useful it's going to be, which is really interesting. But um, let's, what, what, do, what do you think about a quick recap here, Griff? Um, uh, he, you know, again, let's go back here, medium of exchange, right? It's an intermediary instrument or system used to facilitate the sale, purchase, or trade of goods between parties, right? We've just broken this whole thing down. It's, we're trading something that represents economic value for a good or service, right? And if we can do that and, and, and if that medium of exchange meets one, uh, it has to be readily acceptable. Two, it must be easily divisible. Third, it, it's got to be uh, easily and efficiently moved around the economy through multiple transactions. And then the fourth piece is that it must be difficult to counterfeit. if if we can if we can use something that that meets those four criteria, and I'm sure that there's others out there as well. Uh, but those are four pretty, pretty solid pieces there. If we can have a medium of exchange that meets all of those properties, um, then, then, then you've got a medium of exchange, right? If you've got a commodity that meets all four of those properties, then you've got a medium of exchange. And uh, I think we just broke it down. We can go buy all those four and say, yeah, Bitcoin checks here. Bitcoin passes this test. Um, and uh, so for that reason, I'm going to give Bitcoin the thumbs up as far as medium of exchange.
1: It's a medium of exchange, and it honestly, as we keep going along, you know, as a store of value medium of exchange, something we've never really, humans ever have been able to kind of get right, obviously, is something that is both, because as we can see, this fiat standard doesn't work for everybody. Just look at all the problems we have today. Look at all the problems that were coming in 2008, and then they stopped it with quantitative easing, aka they just printed money (laughs) to fix their issues, and now we're seeing only 14 years later that not only did that getting rid of the gold standard in 1971 ultimately collapse our real estate market, but it ultimately was going to collapse everything. It's, it was going to, it was going to engulf the entire economy because you cannot just print this money and get yourself out of all of these problems. And we started this podcast today, looking at like the S and P and the prices of everything. And it's due to the fact that the fed is trying to taper and stop easing all of these markets. And they're going to increase interest rates. I mean, if, they're oh, going to yeah. do what they should do, right? This whole thing's going to go, boom. Um, and is that going to make the dollar a better medium exchange or worse? Now, the dollar's perfectly divisible or not. I mean, it's great. It's divisible. It's very liquid. It's very easy to float around, obviously. But is it going to hit on the trust part of it? Is it going to hit on the transaction speed part of it? Is it going to hit on what people want to trade? Is it going to hit on all of those things? And I think the dollar is going to lose a lot of its sting. Uh, in the coming years, just because of what they've done to it, they've manipulated the shit out of it and it's no longer worth what people would like it to be worth.
0: So here's something interesting. I don't don't know if you've seen this or not here just over the past, uh, uh, the past week here, we've seen this kind of sharp upturn here from the end of December into now. Um, but so so we're looking at 10 year, uh, treasury bonds, uh, in, in their yield. Um, so it's interesting, um, interest rates and bond yields operate, uh, uh, with perfect unity, right? So as interest rates increase, yields will also increase. Um, so interesting piece here, you know, with with the Fed signaling that they're going to be, uh, uh, hiking interest rates, I think they've, they've called for three times, but there's also talk about four. Um, but here, here we're seeing reflection in the markets, right? We know that the markets are driven by emotion, right? But, you talk about interest rates it, it, uh, possibly increasing in the future. We're already starting to see yields increase, which is interesting. Um, and, and it's the same here with the uh, 13-week Treasury bond. Um, you can see that on the on the one-month uh, piece there, on the three-month. I mean, you can see how, how these are climbing. You know, it's pretty interesting.
1: Well, they say they're going to increase interest rates, Nick, but you yeah. mean, we're, one that is yet to be seen because they're going to have to do it because uh, it is the midterms and money has become political in America and money has become political in the world. Um, How are they going to increase these interest rates during midterms and still get elected and explain it to the people while also trying to price control things due to COVID and print people money and keep everybody on Medicare Um, and also keep the real estate market going at an all time high that like it's never seen before. Um, It's a lot of things that they're just lying to you about. And I asked my actually, I was texting my dad the other day. uh, Columbus, Ohio just announced, Intel just announced they're going to build a huge chip manufacturing plant in Columbus, $20 billion project. Mm. The real estate in Columbus is going to go through the roof, right? But isn't it it already like so fakely high? I looked back at charts yesterday of what this real estate is valued at, right? And maybe this is what I want to talk about in our next podcast, at least perfectly right into it this Columbus real estate versus what Bitcoin is. But how much? What what should the price of a single family home be in Columbus, Ohio now with this announcement? You know, obviously it's going to appreciate as jobs come in and as it boosts that local economy right there. But where should the prices be right now? Mm. They're unorganically, inorganically high, and I tweeted about this yesterday. But the price of it after 1971, as inflation comes in, it got higher and higher and higher. It increases the prices of those assets and just goes straight up. Well, what would the price of our real, like, where would all of these markets be at without inflation? I know we always adjust for inflation, but let's stop adjusting for inflation because inflation is time test. So let's stop adjusting for it. And is the price of everything right now so high that we're going to come down to a collapse where, oh, time to stop adjusting for inflation. Like there's no, well, I think,
0: I think the adjustment for inflation would be reducing that market to what it would be had there not been inflation. So you right. want, want to adjust for inflation to see what the real market value is.
1: And adjusted for inflation now, I feel like is everybody is really just lying because inflationary numbers, <clears throat> I, I don't think that maybe there's maybe there's some very real economists out there that have some really good numbers on where the actual housing market should be because demand is obviously extremely high, which is probably what's going to keep this thing propped up. Uh, kind of through this inflationary collapse that you're seeing in like other markets, the real estate market isn't hearing it as much because people did save dollars to go get these incredibly low interest rates on these homes. So demand's extremely high, but is that and, real?
0: And the supply, the supply is low as well. The demand is high and the supply is low. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into this. We'll talk about this in more is, detail. And
1: stuff. Also 30 year mortgages were created in 1971 once we got off a of gold standard. Is that good? Yeah, was, that's is, interesting. I saw that you sent. Yeah, you sent a couple of things. That's interesting. it that really makes sense. Like, does it? Did it ever make sense to have homes that people could pay off for thirty years to a bank? Banks are taking losses on it. People are making huge wins on them. Does it doesn't make sense. Is that something that ultimately? Is this all just like a failed science experiment? Should the price of a home in Columbus obviously will go up uh, with it, with that information and with a big company coming in, but should it? go up from where it's at right now or after this correction will experience some organic growth of a local economy just becoming better with more people coming in and a big company coming in. I think the real question is, you know, if you look at the housing market in 2008 and you look at that price, it goes, it goes down and then they start easing it and it goes up. Uh, Well, how far should it have gone down, and where should we really be at? I think is the question we need to be asking because Bitcoin truly is getting rid of inflation. Inflation is a failed theory. Uh, It, in my opinion, it's over, and we'll talk about this next week. And the biggest, I think, the biggest bubble that it will will burst, and what really will happen is real estate, not in in the recession right away. But maybe in the recession in about 10 years, when they continue to print this money to prop up the most important markets, such as real estate, um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays. Because I think I think there is a major collapse needed um, for the people. I think just our economy is basically begging for it. It's like a plant begging for water. Our economy is begging for there not to just be like a collapse. But we're talking Great Depression type of collapse. And can Bitcoin save it? Absolutely. Um, Will Bitcoin, will the price of Bitcoin shoot up as as we go through this like kind of monetary debasement phase in the United States? Yes. But is that really what matters? Or is it that it's there and that it works and block after block after block Bitcoin will be there? Will the price go up during this time? Maybe. Is Bitcoin already inflated as well? quite possibly, because there's been quantitative easing going on since the inception of Bitcoin in 2008. Um, Does that matter all that much? Eh, who knows? But it definitely matters when it comes to me and Nick as 25-year-old guys making some money. Can we buy a home? Man, it's a lot harder than it should be. And I think that's what we're going to talk about next week is Bitcoin kind of displaces some of the real estate market, uh, where the real estate market is kind of headed, and how like money has affected it, I think is really what we're trying to talk about. And the next episode, Bitcoin, what is it? Digital property, digital real estate. That that obviously is where we're headed towards. But interesting questions to ask because it's it's a market everybody wants to get in. Demand is extremely high. Investment is extremely high with investment properties. Um, What is the real value of uh, real estate when adjusted for inflation? And what does that mean? for people like you and me, obviously people who are older, have these assets, have these homes. Great for you guys, but you know, you're not supposed to be building the economy for now. You're supposed to be building the economy for the future, for your kids, for your generations of the past. And uh, that's just not what's happening right now. And so hopefully we'll talk about that next week a little bit more.
0: Yep. Well, thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Nick and Griff show. We're talking about a medium of exchange today, and that gets a thumbs up from us. Um, come check us out on, uh, on social media, we'd love to uh, we'd love to have conversations, right? Talk back and forth on Twitter, at uh, Nick and Griff Show here on Twitter. Come see some content. We'd love to talk with you guys. We're also on Gitter, at Nick and Griff Show as well, um, trying to keep some content posted. We'd love to have conversations with you. And if you're watching on YouTube, you already know we're on YouTube, but if you're listening on Spotify, or uh, something like that, um, come catch us on, on YouTube. You can watch our YouTube videos here, these videos. So um, thank you guys for watching. We'll see you next time.